When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Joseph. I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Oh, yes, yes, it is. Wow. What are you drinking? Uh, Mexican Pedialyte. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone's ill. Yeah, we're a day late and a dollar short. My trip to Puerto Vallarta, um, which was a very lovely, lovely Christmas gift from Nick, and through no fault of his own, I ended up at like a very shitty hotel that doesn't have internet so that's been a challenge we couldn't record the podcast yesterday so i actually had to buy another hotel to stay at so i can work um because this one has internet but then this one the power goes in and out so i wouldn't be surprised if our podcast gets interrupted and then in between all that i i I guess i have a stomach bug i've been vomiting so i might have to abandon ship for a second to do that um so yeah not the best time and there's a dog in this hotel i'm staying in there's a dog like two huge dogs like saint bernard's as you can tell by their voices and every time someone walks in they go ape shit and this hotel probably has like 50 rooms so <laughs> i don't understand the purpose of this um well it's like so- a a screwball comedy just somewhere in there, huh? And I'm the wrong person for this. I cannot tough it out. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just feeling uh all the things. But to bring the mood back up, uh more people are sponsoring us on Anchor. So I really appreciate we both appreciate that. Oh yes. And if people want to do that, they can go to Anchor. It's starting at like 99 cents a month. Um you can help us reach financial freedom. Oh, I forgot to mention, because we're not together, we're recording this on Zoom. So on Spotify and Anchor, people can watch us interact and they can see me. I still look good even though I'm sick. So there's that. But <laughs> what did Alanis Morissette say? She's sick, but she's pretty. <laughs> you don't agree? You are, yeah. <laughs> oh, look. 15 years ago, it would have been a different answer. Now it's delayed, forced, yes. No, it would have been the same answer, please. Anyhow. You know, I, I'm not good at giving myself compliments, so I think I, I'm always taken aback by it. Oh, so that's shade, but okay. <laughs> uh-huh. But no, of course. kind of remarkable how people can compliment themselves. I don't do it, but go off. <laughs> um. But how have you been with me not being there? I, I'm missing you, but good. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I've been I've been busy because I'm covering Sundance remotely, and you know, every time I've done a film festival in this fashion, makes me not want to do it because living life in between watching films with a certain time window is driving me crazy. So, well, because when you're there, everything is 
you know, the majority of your time is spent on watching screenings and now you have to balance all the other things. This is true. Because you do have to get to these screenings at a certain time in the festival, but then you have nothing else blocking you. Right. So, but so and what, you reliably make a schedule. And there's no pausing, just film watching. And uh, you're devoted to the art uh, instead of my cat screaming at me or, you know, my mom calling. How's the cat? Fine, ornery. Does she have food and water? Of course she does. Okay, just checking. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of things I learned during my few first few days here. One is that uh, I was stuck in the house, uh, in the uh, hotel room, and the only channel that uh, is in English is HGTV. So I've been watching a bunch of like house hunters and something called room crashers. And if you don't know what it is, look it up. It's this guy, I believe his name is Todd Davis. He's a very hunky, like surfer type dude who was on a HGTV reality competition show, like, I guess like 20 years ago. And he didn't even win. He was like a finalist. But based on his appearance, I can see why they grabbed him for uh, his own show. And it is the most ridiculous. Some of this shit is so ugly. Even, uh, <laughs> it's funny watching because you can, I, I believe on on some platform, you can watch older episodes and watching what was considered like in style years and years ago is very entertaining. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, this guy in particular, his thing is that he likes to do like kitchens and living rooms and he always wants a backsplash and he always picks like three colors and he says, these are your colors. And you have to see how he combines. There was one where he crashed someone's garage to make it into a man cave, which I hate that term. And when I tell you it was the ugliest shit I've ever seen and still left the garage door up. So they didn't even like try to make that a real wall. And it's like the people saw it and they were living. Uh, I, 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 I've said this before. I enjoy being out of town by myself because I get to watch TV and it's fun. The things I, I'm often shocked. Like this is, this is what y'all watch it. <laughs> but I'm entertained for a different reason. Um, Next, I know you know who the rapper Young Miami is. She's a member of City Girls, and you like that one song I recall, which I can't even recall the name of. Their big song. I, I do. I feel yeah. like you play it a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Young Miami is officially dating uh, Sean Combs, a.k.a. P. Diddy, and she did an interview recently with Trina, and she told Trina that she likes Golden Showers. For those, for, for those who don't know, that's like a sex act where one person urinates on the other. So it was trending the last couple of days that <laughs> the hashtag P, but it's P-E-E. -E. So <laughs> for some reason that has tickled me for the last two and a half days. <laughs> well, you know, we, we have to grasp onto what we can to make it through. Uh... <laughs> you know, hey, no, nothing wrong with that. But I feel like if I were a notable person, I probably, I mean, because I feel like it's, it, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's right for like joke making. So, mm -hmm. well, I mean, and then like we're forever going to be associated with that. And what if P. Diddy like dies re soon and then it's like everyone forgets that he's this like billionaire, like black businessman who's accomplished all these things and had all these hits. And then all we talk about is, P. Diddy, because <laughs> that's the last shit he was associated with. Because, um, you know, all, if he died tomorrow, are the all, all the articles are going to reference how he was trending recently because yeah. of that. 
<laughs> yeah, he needs to do something reprehensible real quick. Wipe that clean. Yeah, he probably should. Um, he should go like slap Ben Affleck or something. Um, so there is something in the side of this man section. In the review for Missing, you mm -hmm. said that Sarah Polly is in run, but I believe that's Sarah Paulson. So I was just pick. I was just like pulling teeth, like trying to find something because we haven't had anything in that section for a while. <laughs> oh, we're all entitled to mistakes. In the movie Run, no, in the movie. Uh, oh, in the in the review for Missing, you referenced the movie Run because I think someone affiliated with Missing was affiliated with that film, and you said starring Sarah Pauly. Oh yes, because Sarah Pauly go. Yeah, so a very easy uh, oversight to make. Films released we didn't cover, something called Blaze. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a lot of stuff that came out as of last Friday that we made it through quite a bit of. Uh, but Blaze uh, was a Tribeca premiered film uh, by Del Catherine Barton, uh, and I did not see it. I don't think it's been getting very uh, great reviews. Mm -hmm. Something called Jung E. Uh, by directed by Yon Sang Ho, a South Korean science fiction film on Netflix. Kids versus Aliens. I would have watched this. Uh, Jason Eisner directed it, who did a film. I think he was one of the co-directors on Turbo Kid, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but he also did Hobo with a Shotgun, which I didn't like. Uh, but it, if you even if you look at the poster art, it looks like something that would be entertaining. But lastly, The Wandering Earth Two. And I didn't see The Wandering Earth 1, uh, directed by Frant Guo. It's starring Hong Kong superstar Andy Lau from 2019. So they're reuniting for this. But th it opened just in time for uh, the Lunar New Year for oh. Chinese. Movies you watched for fun, something called Absolution 1978. Well, that's a note to myself because uh, it's called Absolution. But oh, well, I don't know why you send me your full notes. I don't know. I don't. Well, I didn't realize I had to further edit them, and I have several different versions. But anyway, uh, this was something I've been scrolling by on Amazon for months, starring Richard Burton, and I think it was released years after it was made, but uh, directed by Anthony Page. But uh, I was more interested because Anthony Schaefer, who wrote Sleuth uh, and Frenzy for Hitchcock, and of course Robin Hardy's The Wicker Man. Uh, I was, it, it, it's okay. It's about uh, kind of an asshole priest that these students are trying to make go crazy uh, by confessing that they've murdered someone and leading him to the body when it's a joke, uh, partially. And, and then I, did, I didn't realize that Anthony Schaefer was married to Diane Salento, who plays the school teacher in The Wicker Man. Oh. oh. Okay. Autumn Leaves. Uh, yes, I think you were in the room. I, I had a Robert Aldrich triple feature uh, this week, but I, your sister was visiting who likes Joan Crawford and she hadn't seen Autumn Leaves. Oh, uh, yeah, I walked in towards the end and it looked really fun. You two actually played two scenes back for me. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, Cliff Robertson being probably as young and handsome as he was very briefly uh, before he started doing things to his hair and skin. Uh, but yeah, that's very entertaining film. Next, The Killing of Sister George. So I know you watched this in relation to something you're writing. I don't know if you want to talk about what you're writing. No, I, I for a podcast, 
that I was a guest on. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of um, a different movie. <laughs> sorry. Yes, you watched um, The Killing of Sister George related to a, a podcast that um, we already talked about because I said that I did my episode. But you had, you uh, came up with some very good options pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't... I think that you should um, talk about why you chose this as a bad game movie because it's not a bad movie. Uh, because it has the reputation of being a bad game movie and I like recuperation, you know, because uh, it, it, it's featured heavily in The Celluloid Closet, which is kind of a, a, a Bible I refer to for all of these films with queer representation, you know, prior to when it was even legal to show it. Uh, and... I think it's a film that people don't talk about or reference, but it it came out just prior to something like Boys in the Band and how we kind of, as gay men, have a reverence for that. But there's not really, I feel like there's so few lesbian representations, especially from this period, and it's doing some fascinating things. Uh, I'll well, be we not. shouldn't talk too much about it to entice people to listen to your episode. Um, I, have, I didn't hear you recording, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say because I also watched the movie. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. all. It's a lot of fun. I'm not going to defend it as like this great film, but it's doing a lot of really interesting things. And the lead star, Beryl Reed, I think is quite good. I'm in in my brain haze. Did I mention Peace, Love, and Misunderstanding last week? You To me, you did, yeah. Oh, okay. So I did write it down. Um, so I watched Peace, Love, and Misunderstanding, which is a, a film from 2011, 11, which is unbelievable to me because it feels like it's tw more than 20 years old, but it has this amazing cast. Mm -hmm. Jane Fonda, um, yeah. the lady, uh, WandaVision lady. Um, Olsen. Uh, the, the guy who the two brothers look alike. Um, Nat is Nat or Wolf? Yeah, yep, Nat Wolf. Uh, so many people, I'm sure you could name more than I did and you haven't watched it recently, but um, I, was I was surprised at how much or how bad I thought it was because the person who directed that directed um, something pretty notable, right? Uh, Bob, what's his face? Or wrote something very notable and that's why I decided to watch it. The is it Bruce Beresford? Um, Bruce Beresford is the director, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's uh, notable from the 80s. I think he did- Oh, Driving Miss Daisy. That's what I was thinking. I, I wanted to watch it because I saw he had um, directed Driving Miss Daisy. So I was curious. And this shit, I mean, Driving Miss Daisy is kind of hokey and problematic sometimes, but this was, it's worth a watch. It's terrible, but it's really fun to see the dialogue, just how all the characters are acting, you would think that someone who's never made a movie before did it, and they know how to shoot things looking nice and shiny, and that's it. Oh, um, and, and he didn't do um, Postman Always Rings twice, but I, I think he's from Australia, and Breaker Morant and um, Mr. Johnson are both on the Criterion Collection, so he had notable things in his youth. Oh, but moving on, you saw The Frisco Kid. Oh, and Crimes of the Heart he did, which is a lot of fun with Jessica Lange, Diane Keaton, and Sissy Spacek as sisters. Mm. I recommend. Anyway, what was next? The Frisco Kid. 
Uh, the third and Robert Aldrich uh, feature, his penultimate film uh, with Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder, set in 1850 Poland uh, about Gene Wilder, who's the stupidest student oh, in rabbi yeah. school, and he gets sent to San Francisco uh, and has, I guess, an adventure on the way there, but that wasn't very good. Well, the movie suffers from, like, dated and offensive comedy because it revolves around this idea that Polish people aren't very smart, which is like so delayed and tired. And I know this was, when is the Frisco kid? 1977? 79. 79. So, obviously people were accepting of that kind of humor, but watching it, it I mean, it was, I, I didn't sit through it because it was just like, I can't listen to this shit. Like, it's not even funny. It's not funny. And Gene Wilder is a very funny person, but he has no chemistry with Harrison Ford. The, the accent work is not good, but it's, I don't know. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't enjoy Next, it. Next, fast walking. Uh, after watching Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, uh, there are several Susan Tyrell films I haven't watched. And this was one of them, uh, directed by James B. Harris from the early 80s, starring James Woods, who I don't really care for. But James B. Harris did a movie that I think is really good from 88 or so, also starring James Woods called Cop, which I highly recommend. But oh, yeah, this I look, saw you watching it. Yeah. So fast walking is okay it's basically about kind of a, a race war happening inside a prison uh and susan tyrell has a small part as james wood's cousin slash brothel madam that she runs out of a, a convenience store uh okay so if you like her she's not in it that much but it, it it's worth watching for her but i i didn't it that it also felt very dated the wounded man they had a special engagement of this at the Los Feliz 3 that I went to last week, uh, P Patrice Chirot film from 1983. I hadn't heard, I'm, I'm very familiar with that director, but I hadn't heard of this film. And it stars uh, Jean-Hugh Anglade, who you know from Betty Blue. Uh, oh, he's very handsome, right? And it is, it, it's a coming of age story, kind of, about this guy that discovers that he, he's his sexuality, but takes place primarily at, at this train station where and, it, and it's you know right as i think it's shot right as aids was hitting so or H, the pandemic was hitting so it doesn't take into account any of that but uh it is wildly sexual and kind of shocking and depraved and uh and, and, and it ends in a very dark way uh yeah it was oh, very so, so it, i'm sure it resonated with you yes very much so. <laughs> uh, so, so that was a treat that i stumbled into yeah. Next, The Burning. I hate this movie. I've seen it before, but you put it on randomly. What? Uh, what is this? What's The Burning? Which is like a Friday the 13th ripoff where the killer's using those shears to kill everybody. Oh, this shit was so dumb. It was like... A young Holly Hunter who maybe gets one line. Uh, Jason Alexander, Stephen, or Fisher Stevens, um... The only cool part is like seeing those people young for like five minutes and then the, the novelty's done. The basic yeah. story is so dumb, like how the killer or it's just like there's no lore to it. They weren't even trying. I don't know. But this shit was hard to sit through. No, but I didn't realize uh, Harvey Weinstein had a story credit on that film. Of course he did. Uh, something called Barrier. Uh, I The Yerzy Skolomowski retrospective at that same year. I, I tried to make it as many as I could, but it's a 1966 feature by Skolomowski. It's right before he kind of 
out with uh, Departure because he won Berlin for that film. It, it's a about a college student uh, that thinks he deserves more than what he's allotted. And it felt like a, a, somebody's first or second feature for sure. Uh, and, I, and I really like Skolomowski, but uh, yeah, it was just okay. Something called Hands Up. And that's the last Skolomowski film I saw, which he, it's the film he was making that was seized by the Polish authorities in 1967 and why he left Poland for many years uh, to work in France and the UK, et cetera. Uh, and he returned to it in 1981. So it's an odd film that, uh, it, it was an unfinished film that, you know, he finished later. And I really, it, it feels like two distinctly separate things, but I really like the feel of both but probably the preference of the 1981 footage, but uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, the Burned Barns? Yes, uh, directed by Jean Chapeau. Uh, I had this sitting on Blu-ray forever, but it uh, 1973 French film that's notable for uniting Simone Signoret and Alain Delon, like two French titans, uh, about a judge that knows this woman's son had something to do with a dead body and you, you've seen this plot in all kinds of ways before, uh, but I like those two leads quite a bit. Fantastic score by Jean-Michel Jarre, um, I, I, which I've actually been listening to uh, on Apple. Uh, and I think it was his second studio album. He was really big in the 90s for uh, a song called Oxygen, which I'm if you played it, you would, you would know it. Uh, I didn't know that he was married to Charlotte Rampling for 20 years. And had a kid with her. And he, of course, he's the son of Maurice Jarre, uh, a very notable film composer who's done a lot of things like uh, Gorillas in the Mist and Year of Living Dangerously, of course. Oh, with Segovia Weaver. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, one of last year's notable films that I I, I read the book uh, in October and I finally got around to watching that while you were gone. Uh, it's heavy. It's two and a half hours. And the director, Edward Berger, is uh, expanding it because the, the book is a first person narrative of recollections and memories. And uh, they expand it to kind of like what's going on behind the scenes between the, the French and the Germans, uh, which I don't know that I necessarily needed. Uh, but the battle sequences, it's very impressively shot. It's it's brutal. A driver. I fucking love the driver. Um, Mini driver? Not Mini driver. Adam driver. Nope. D driver. What's uh, that song? Chauffeur, chauffeur. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot who sings that song. I used to listen Duran, to Duran? Is it Duran? They have a chauffeur song with a really great music video. Uh, That's what I'm thinking of. But now that you're saying it, there's a group with like a woman's vocals saying chauffeur, chauffeur. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what but, a line about how she's late with her appointment with Joan. Uh, the driver. Driver. You know, it, it's not Twilight Time, which is now defunct, released it. And, you know, they all had limited Blu-ray editions. So if you didn't buy the capacity, they're very So I think the Twilight Time Blu-ray is a couple hundred bucks probably. But it's Walter Hill's. Uh, have you seen that list of movies I can sell when you die? No. And I actually don't have the Twilight Time copy of this disc. I have a bootleg. Uh, but somebody like Criterion needs to... I've been sitting on it forever because 
I don't know. It, it, I like Walter Hill a lot. And it's his sophomore film from 1978 starring Ryan O'Neill, Isabella Johnny, who, you know, she's on my back too, and uh, Bruce Dern. And it's the film Nicholas Winning Refn was highly referenced, referencing with his film Drive, which I also loved with Ryan Gosling. But this, there are two car chase sequences in this that had me anxious. And I never, like nothing of that, nothing of that ilk really kind of gets me going anymore but it is it looks so good Isabella Johnny is gorgeous she doesn't really have as much to do uh but I, I don't know that I love the that film is a vibe and I yeah I'll show it to you well moving on to projects of interest something from Dan's Le Visseur Dan Le Visseur is probably more closer to the pronunciation that I'm also butchering. But uh, yes, Isabelle Huppert is now filming, right now, a new film with Andre Teschenet, who she hasn't worked with since 1979 when she was in the Bronte Sisters with Isabella Johnny. That's exciting. I think so. So um, next, I was reading about this before you sent it. Uh, Antoine Fuqua is going to helm the Michael Jackson biopic. Yeah, and by project, I'm worried. I have concerns. <laughs> oh, you know this is going to be a train wreck. Well, based on emancipation, I feel like he's. I can't imagine he's going to make Michael Jackson seem like this very like. I feel like the child molestation stuff may not go where maybe people might want it to go, but yeah, just the only movie I've liked of his, I think, is Training Day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I remember you thinking Olympus has fallen was fun, but those are fun. Yes, you're right. I I think those that movie's fun, but like I just oh no, um, you know what a good football film is besides Training Day is Brooklyn's Finest with Wesley Snipes and Richard Gere. Oh, I remember liking that. Well, I shouldn't uh, cast aspersions on Antoine Fuqua just yet, but I just I I don't know that. We've had a string of biopics with urethria and nippy, and I just, <laughs> I just don't want it to end up being. I mean, who has a bigger career? Well, you know, his career doesn't. I mean, his career spans as long as Aretha's, and his popularity is unmatched. So I don't know how a two and a half hour movie, just like all these other two and a half hour biopics, and then didn't he do Bohemian? Who did the person who wrote Bohemian Rhapsody is going to write this? Oh, okay, sure. Right? I I didn't. The script is in by John Logan, and the film will be produced by Graham King, who turned the Freddie Mercury Queen story into the blockbuster oh. um, Bohemian Rhapsody. That, Bohemian that. Rhapsody is not a good film. Oh. Uh, you didn't watch it. Rami Malek's fine in it, but he I don't know. The only thing about this movie is you know. People are going to go watch it. And you know, the minute they announce who's playing Michael Jackson, and if we're getting like multiple people playing him, because we're going to need like the, like the, Bob, the Bob Dylan movie. We're going to need like, yeah, well, at least like three versions a kid, a young adult, and then um, the one we got to know and more, you know, before he passed. So uh, I, I have, I just want this movie. My, they can't do Michael crazy, they just can't. Somebody like Spike Lee, I, I think, would be a better fit to do Michael Jackson, but I don't know. But that being said, I don't know what kind of reverie Antoine Fuqua has for the subject. 
he might be interested, you know, and he might also approach it as like, oh my gosh, what if he does like the trial and makes the movie about that? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't support that. <laughs> you know, what would be really interesting is this Jackson's life is, um, worthy of a mini series, like a 10, eight, 10 part mini series with, with each a 90 minute segment devoted to an era. You could do well, that. My, my thought would be to take a moment in his life. And I think the thing that most people think about and talk about when they think of him are his eccentricities and his appearance. And I think a really interesting thing to like if he has access or the screenwriter had access to like information we don't all know maybe focus around the time when he discovered like he had vitiligo from when he like adjusted his nose to then sort of adjusting his skin tone maybe that period and how he struggled with how a lot of that was a reflection of what he thought people wanted I think that could be a really interesting character study um and we don't need the big productions because I feel like, I mean, both respect and, and I'm only saying those because those are two recent ones featuring super successful Black entertainers, but I think they couldn't quite achieve like in the production, the magnitude of these two and their, you know, like all the Whitney performances felt very like we're on a sound stage and we're shooting at an angle and we're going to put in the audience post and I, I didn't see Bo or Bohemian. No, the one with Ro Rocket Man. Don't they have some pretty big like? Sure, I didn't really care. Yeah, Michael would need. I mean, he was playing to like a hundred crowds of a hundred thousand plus. It just needs to feel grand. But anyway, we're talking a lot about hypothetical shit. Like, well, I'm talking a lot about hypothetical shit. You know, if somebody's gonna play Janet, man, you watch. I, the, that, the, review, the review for um and it better not be called like beat it or thriller or uh, moonwalk or <laughs> it's gonna be named watch it's gonna be named moonwalk i know it or neverland related uh oh god anyway unfortunately there are entries in the obituary section gina lola brigida is dead lola brigida is dead yes what do you know her from? Oh God, a lot of things. Uh, she did a film. Okay, so she was kind of Sophia Loren's competition, you know, as the Italian import. Uh, but, and I saw her in person. I think she showed up to. I went to a, a TCM film festival, uh, and they showed Buena Sera, Mrs. Campbell, which is kind of the impetus for what Mamma Mia became. Which is really interesting, but I really like you've seen her in a movie, um, Woman of Straw, the Basil Dearden film with I think Sean Connery, uh, years oh. ago. Uh, really dark and disturbing film. And uh, she, speaking of Skolomowski, he did a fantastic uh, Nabokov uh, adaptation of King Queen Knave, which is um, impossible to find, it was not part of that retrospective. Uh, and Death Laden Egg, uh, I, yeah, she has a lot of really great films next or not next but david crosby also died uh, i'm not familiar with who that is i know i've heard that name before you don't know the musician <laughs> did he do I, a track with luther vandross i don't know who that is okay <laughs> i've heard you know who i would have said i probably 
You haven't heard of you haven't heard of Crosby, Stills, and Nash? Because there's someone named Bean Crosby, and if you asked oh, me to Crosby, I probably would have said Bean Crosby. Uh, I've heard of Cro Crosby, Stills, and Nash is a thing I've heard. I don't know any songs. Do you? Um, and you've been looking the shit up. Did you know a song before? <laughs> uh, if you played something, I would know it, but. Well, that's because I'm assuming your parents didn't listen to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I think my mom might have, but um, he was also part of the Birds, which was a, a band I liked. Um, okay. They have a, a what what the name of that song? It's on the Forrest Gump soundtrack uh, that every season turn 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 song. But anyway, okay. yeah, he's royalty in the world he's in, so it was a big deal to a lot of people. Well, goodbye Not to this person. Also um, and also what? in his 80s yes um okay so the secret movie this week was your choice and it's related to something you're going to be writing which i don't know if you're going to say what it is but um so if you're not then i guess i'll stop or should i say what it is fine i mean who's gonna remember who's that writing oh uh, yeah who's gonna check me Who's gonna check me? <laughs> watch us get like watch me get like a DM. <laughs> um, no, uh, Nick is writing another piece for Spin Magazine about what is the topic? Uh, it's kind of an anti uh, Valentine's Day list, which I think is a really fun idea. And then after watching this movie, I think this is an excellent. Uh, if, if if this is one of your choices, I think it's an excellent selection. Mm -hmm. But um, you had seen this many years ago, I presume. Uh, the last time I saw it was probably about 2006. I know who Lars von Trier is. My memory, my my immediate thought of him is that he makes like hypersexual, like controversial type films, and I've he, seen some. I know I saw Antichrist. Yeah, and, and uh, the one I thought was really good. Um, what is no. with uh, Kirsten Dunst? Melancholy Pains. Who's Kirsten, in Melancholia? Kirsten Dunst. She's the lady who's married to the guy from the movie with uh, Cumberbatch, who's gay. And he's like a farmer, and he's like trying to, he's hooking up with the young guy. And the young guy goes to medical school. It was like a, I think Dog is in the title. What, was, you're not talking about a Lars von Trier film. No, I'm saying... Kirsten Dunst is married to the man in that movie. Oh, Power of the Dog. Yes. Who's that man in that movie? Uh, Jesse Plemons. Who we saw in um, that movie about the Native American spirit that was pretty good until it wasn't. Antlers. Yes. I'd yes. recommend that movie. But anyway... Um, I thought, or I didn't even introduce the movie. So Nick's selection was the 1996 psychological drama directed by Lars von Trier called Breaking the Waves. It stars Emily Watson in her feature film acting debut and Stellan Skarsgård. Wait, was uh, that her? I didn't know that. Was that her debut? I don't know who that lady is, except for now this movie. What it's have I seen her in? Not her debut, Jesus. <laughs> Oh it's not her feature film debut i'm pretty sure not oh well don't talk to me talk to user 32978 who entered it on wikipedia <laughs> no i'll be shocked anyway you know you she you saw her in chernobyl 
that series. Uh, I don't know. I really liked her in this movie. I kind of found her like strangely cute. Uh, She's cute. Yeah. Um, The basic story, it's set in the 19... It was hard to tell the year, but I would say it's like the 70s, maybe. Yeah, that is her debut. Wow, she only did a TV series before that. Wow, I did not know that. The movie's long. It's 158 minutes. Um, I just have to put that out there. But anyway, it's like in the 1970s, and it's in Scotland, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So Emily Watson plays this lady who lives in this very religious, with her very religious family, like mom, dad, and sister. And they're like hyper, hyper religious. And Emily Watson's character is a special bird. Um, we know that she's had some mental health issues previously. Um, at times, I think they're trying to make her seem simple. I didn't read her as being so simple. She just seemed naive. But yeah. Anyway, she bumps into Stellan Skarsgård one day. He plays a like a rig worker, like the people who work like offshore drilling oil. And they get married, like, immediately. Like, within the first, what, 15 minutes of this long-ass movie. And basically, she uh, comes to her sexual awakening. She was obviously a virgin before, you know, based on her family's religious beliefs. She was a virgin when she met him. He was not, clearly, because he's putting it on her. And she, this movie is the definition of being digmatized. She <laughs> she is, like, looking at him like, like, I need it. I need it. Um, so... Yeah she she is cra- i mean she is craving him physically and it seems emotionally too and she's he's on this rig for like long periods of time and one of his coworkers gets to come back early because he like sprained his wrist so this bitch uh goes to church and gets on her knees and prays to god for him to be injured so he can bring his ass back home and god listened and cleaned his clock like traumatic brain injury he's like paralyzed from the deck down so he comes back and then a portion of the movie is like if misery were like a hallmark movie because she's like obsessing over him but she's being very she's not hurting him i mean she is in a way but she's not physically and she's not trying to she just craves his body even though it doesn't work Mm -hmm. so he obviously gets frustrated and tells her listen it would bring me great joy if you go out here and have sex with other men and then tell me about it because I can't use my own body and I'm getting really frustrated with you always picking and poking at me. So she starts her little escapades, which initially amount to hand jobs. Mm-hmm. But he tells her that shit is boring. Like, I, I, I need to hear about intercourse. So she does. It doesn't help. So she thinks she needs to get extreme with it and she ends up going to like a shipyard which she had been to previously and the men there including Udo Kier are Uh very violent with her and so she thinks that if she like gives like an even bigger status uh sacrifice like maybe allow herself uh, like I don't know what she was thinking but what ends up happening to her is she gets gang raped and, and the result of that is that she's she dies Unfortunately, or fortunately, like her prayers were answered because while that's happening, uh, Stellan, because he keeps getting surgeries to try to help him not be paralyzed and the final one works. So I guess her prayers were answered, but now she's dead. And the final scene is him 
because the church is being really disrespectful about her body because they say she's a sinner. So they won't let, they're trying to bury her in like the raggedy part of the cemetery. So Stellan's like, nah, he gets his homeboys to fill like sandbags and tricks these fool, fools into burying sandbags um, thinking it's her. And then he takes her body out to the ocean and drops it. Um, I actually thought this movie was excellent. I thought it's very dark and i mean it's not just i'm used to shit like this now from you so it's not disturbing but it is you know it if, if you're not accustomed to watching stories like this it is kind of shocking but i think it felt sweet in many parts and i think her love for him and then i think what made me emotional was more him trying to do this final gesture for her because it made me think that he really did I wasn't unclear that he loved her throughout, but I think it was like, well, he only knew her for a little bit and it was hot and heavy and then he gets hemmed up. But I felt like he really did cherish her. So him going to the trouble and potentially getting in trouble for taking her body and dumping it in the ocean was very sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and then the significance of the bells ringing at the end, like that's her. Yeah, because the church wouldn't ring the bells for her because she's, the, I guess, a tramp. Um, there were a lot of scenes that were hard to watch. No, um, the the church doesn't ring bells at all. Oh, the, oh, that's right. The church doesn't have bells, but she wanted to hear bells, so he got bells for her. Um, my first note is Ed Harris is in this movie, and you said he's not, but who's that man who, who looks like Ed Harris? Then? I know, but somebody flashed on screen, and he said, "Oh, that's what's his name? Like that's not Ed Harris. Like I already, it, it the man looks like him, but it's not at all. Um, so, but boy, yeah." The, the film about you know ex religious expiation kind of it's very like nathaniel hawthorne's scarlet letter which i like very sure. graham, Green, graham green's the end of the affair uh and even a little bit of romeo and juliet um it, it's it, it's a dark tragedy <laughs> she gives uh emily watson gives a very good performance um, yeah i like stellan too I, I thought he fit the role well he was a little too clean for me to be a rig where his hands and feet were quite nice i was a little shocked yeah. him. and but, if, you'll, if you remember his son is the one marrying kirsten dunst in melancholia oh yeah oh that's right so lars likes the scars guards has the other brother been in a von trier lars von trier movie you know i'm not sure i'd have to double check that um i'm just gonna go through my notes when Stellan asked Emily like um like about her being a virgin and how did she do it like how did she manage to do this she says that she stayed a virgin because she was waiting for him and that man laughs in her face I thought that was so funny <laughs> he's he's not being mean he's just like oh you're serious like you really believe in this <laughs> she's well and you know she does this very endearing thing of when she's praying or praying when she's praying she talks to herself but also in the voice of like god god speaking to her she has to she has to do both parts which i find kind of sweet it's cute it doesn't read as like it, it it doesn't feel crazy or over the top she just seems like a very sweet lady um well you laugh when she's on the cliff screaming for him to come home because she's frustrated oh well that's my next note is that she the first time he leaves and he gets on this like helicopter she runs up to the helicopter and opens the door as it is lifted off the ground and he has she seems it's you know you could i mean i did laugh at it but looking back it's like i'm sure we can all relate to having very strong feelings for someone and even though they don't manifest in that way you know for someone like her who had never had sex before 
who hadn't probably been treated kindly by a man who wasn't allowed to entertain men or her shitty parents with this like suff suffocating environment it um it's really uh can you hear my slack messages oh wow oh are they on my screen oh god uh yeah the only bit of kindness is her sister-in-law from her dead brother played by uh Catherine Cartledge who sadly died over 20 years ago now and she was a that that woman's a fantastic actor as well um and I, it yeah it always makes me sad going back and seeing her but but if you, you haven't seen Dancer in the Dark with the one where the Lars von Trier film with Bjork going blind oh no <laughs> you know the the some critic I forget who I should look when for colored girls came out Tyler Perry's they said Lars von Trier didn't make a movie this year so Tyler Perry checked stepped in to torture women <laughs> Oh God! Well, uh, there, so she. I was very surprised that he could get. Um, that he, I'm trying to pause my Slack messages. <laughs> um, I was very surprised that Stellan could get phone calls, like landline phone calls, on this oil rig. But anyway, he's able to do that. So he's waiting. Or. Emily is waiting for his phone call and she's trying to call him and she falls asleep in a phone booth. Um, <laughs> she was really committed to talking to her man. She was. It's it's sweet. Um, but, and of course, devastating what transpires. But uh, yeah, uh, it's like all of Lars von Trier's films are pretty heavy hitting. But oh, I was going to say about Dance in the Dark, the friend will like Catherine Deneuve in that is a friend to Bjork, much like Cartledge is in this film. So he likes that kind of dynamic as well. The moment you were referring to when Emily Watson's character screaming like on the cliff is because she comes home and her mom finds that she has a calendar counting down the days to when Stellan returns and the mom ripped the shit up and she goes, and, oh, shit. <laughs> and, part of, and also on the calendar, it's just like, uh, I love like all these doodles. Like a little girl. But you know, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who get into relationships very early and stay in them. You know, like you marry your high school sweetheart, you were a virgin, you stay married for 25 years. And then when you break up in your mid forties, if that happens, you're kind of starting like you're kind of, I mean, not a kid because you've been doing adult things, but you don't know how things work maybe, or someone like her who was so sheltered up until she got married, which made me think of that movie with the uh, uh, Faye Dunaway and James Earl Jones and Jennifer Tilly. Gorchers. How the one lady is scared to have sex on her wedding night. And uh, Emily Watson is like the opposite of that movie. <laughs> She got a taste and she could not stop. Well, they actually, they'll make it to, he has sex with her in the bathroom at the celebration. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when Stellan becomes paralyzed, and of course, Emily is in this hospital all the time trying to be with him, he finally tells her, like, could you wear something loose so I don't have to see your body because it's like torture? And then it's clear he's just miserable and he there's a scene where he tries to kill himself by overdosing on medication which is difficult because he's like he's almost fully paralyzed he has some it seems like he could move his arms but very little so when he tries the pills spill everywhere and then of course the nurses one of whom is emily watson's sister her character sister is take you know not leaving pills around him i thought that was sad um also like 
I think talking about, you know, being innocent and then experiencing sex and how that, you know, all the ways that it sort of uh, grows in our minds and what we latch onto and like, you know, she was a very sexual per person as in she wanted it, but, you know, she wasn't, she wanted it from one person. Mm -hmm. I think I might vomit again, but <laughs> she wanted it from one person. So I think like there's a scene when she first gets on a bus, like trying to satisfy Stellan's um, craving for her to be sexual with other people. And she gives this man a hand job and he finishes and she's disgusted and runs off the bus and vomits, speaking of that. And, you know, I just felt so bad for her because it's like, I feel like a lot of people, even more experienced people are chasing a feeling that, is like this yeah. is not, this is not what I want, and I'm doing these things that are. It's complicated because only a portion of it's physical. It, yeah, you know, it reminded me of being a teenager and chasing that feeling and getting into all kinds of stuff with all kinds of people that didn't feel good, but the biological portion of it felt necessary, I guess. But she. So then when she starts becoming more like she needs penetrative sex, she starts dressing up like what, I, like, I guess you could say like a streetwalker. And she looks crazy as hell. But I thought it was funny that she thinks an updo is sexy. Like <laughs> when she starts streetwalking, she has this, I mean, it's a fine enough updo, but it's like, girl, that is not, I, I don't know how people in Scotland were doing back then, but that is not cute. <laughs> it's funny, I, I, I've never watched it, but I had the VHS of a film she did right after this called Metroland with Christian Bale, where she kind of is styled in a similar way, but yeah. So Udo Kier is in it as one of like the rapists on the sailor ship. And I thought that was funny because he, you know, he has this sort of sinister vibe to him. Um, he's in a lot of Lars von Trier's things as well including the Kingdom series and um, Nymphomaniac etc so then Emily Watson's character tries to be sexual with Stellan's doctor and I the one thing I was confused about in the story is I don't understand why the doctor seemed interested in her because he ultimately tells her he's in love with her and I just didn't I don't know if like pickings were slim, but it's like, you know, this lady has a history of like severe mental health issues, which is not do like, doesn't mean she can't have love, but it's like, she has that going on. Then she has a husband who's paralyzed in my hospital who I'm taking care of. And she's a nymphomaniac. Like <laughs> I was so confused why he still tried to like have like dates with her thinking that they weren't going to end in her trying to have sex with him. No, and and they and they do end poor. Well, the one ends poorly where she just gets naked on the bed. Yeah, and he's like, "You need to get up and put your clothes on." Gets upset. Uh... Well, then when when Stellan realizes Emily's not going to like let go, he has her committed. Mm -hmm. Of course, she freaks out. And then probably the saddest scene in the movie is like she's leaving the hospital and these like adolescent boys and a girl I believe are bullying her like calling her a tramp or something and throwing rocks at her and they follow her all the way to the church throwing rocks at her and then she gets to the church he leaves her laying on the ground yeah and the pastor doesn't even like he sees her there and he doesn't even let her inside and then he looks at her like once over or twice over and then just leaves her there and leaves with the kids. Like, you guys weren't doing anything you shouldn't have been doing. So, you know, I 
I think it's an emotional ride more so than the, well, I don't know. I thought melancholia from what I recall. I thought Antichrist was more shock value than anything. Oh yeah, it's super ridiculous. But again, um, fun. I was pretty emotional watching it because I can relate to a lot of things. And I think it's a really, for being so sexual, it's not super graphic. I mean, you do see her naked, but she's just laying there. We do see Stellan's penis, but he's not erect. It's not, I I thought it was kind of sweet about this tragic love story, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you, you know, we're so upset when I told you the running time ahead of time. We, it is really long and I don't like watching long movies. So, but I mean, this was worth, well, Oh, we didn't mention the movie's broken up into chapters. I think there are like eight chapters and each chapter is uh, punctuated with like a classic rock song of some sort, which I which thought, I, yeah. No, but I really like, I mean, um, was a child in time by deep purple is a, I, I, I really like that song, but yeah, that there's nice, th those are the only real moments of any kind of levity we get. It, it's just in those very small moments, but I did like that. I thought this was, I mean, a very, this would be a movie I would give a four and a half to maybe. Like, I can't say it's a five just because I did have a question about something that felt kind of odd to me. But yeah, I mean, it's a really fresh, for the time, you know, I, I like when the, when the 90s were filled with rom-coms or erotic thrillers, and then you have this thing, which is kind of a combination of the two, and it's told in such a unique way and it, it it has highs and lows and it's like I was emotional but it wasn't devastating and somehow in the end I was happy for both of them like I'm glad that Stellan can walk and maybe move on with his life and I'm glad that she's at peace like because even if she stayed her life would have been hard even if she didn't die like <laughs> well living there it's like you just need to you just need to get away but of course emily i i i can't believe i didn't know this was her debut but um wow uh what would you yeah. four and a half yeah um oscar nomination of course it won i think the grand jury prize at Cannes that year um although lars had been making movies for over a decade this was kind of the this was the major breakthrough for him you know on the world stage uh but yeah no it, it it's an impressive film but again i needed a reason to kind of go back to it because i do highly recommend it but it's not something like all of his films you just pop in and are kind of like casually watching but no no um well you know i'm sick and i did try my best i'm sure i sound a little flat um although no more confused than i usually am uh so this week we have two more reviews well hopefully this podcast can go up on monday and then we have something tomorrow and the day after. I think we're, we're I'm supposed to watch Infinity Pool. So there should be a review up by maybe Friday. Uh, and we, you people, will be covering as well. Okay. So there's a lot to do. <laughs> I hope I start to feel better. You want to see that? Kenya Barris, Neil Long, Eddie Murphy. Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, and I have a ton of things to watch because Sundance is going on um, right now. And uh, oh, we didn't even talk. Berlin announced finally their full program, the competition films. Uh, so that's very exciting to me. And uh, I can't wait. But we can talk about that next time. Maybe you can make a video of uh, your like most anticipated things to see in Berlin. 
Sure. Because that would be a short little video. Would it? Oh, God. I guess not. Do you have to say, or do you want to say anything else? No, it's 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 just an overwhelming week for both of us for different reasons. That's all. That's right. Toodaloo. <laughs>